All really starts with you, Taylor. It's really about understanding that you are your number one biggest asset. What goals do you have that are supporting your vision? What habits do you have that are creating, supporting those goals? Who are the five people that you're spending the most amount of time with? Are they taking you closer to your goals or actually detracting you from your goals, right? When you understand that you're your biggest asset and it's really making that paradigm shift into a growth and abundance mindset to get you to believe that, you know, you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals where we will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Dave Wolcott. Dave is a very financially successful real estate and alternative assets investor. Today, we're learning about his story of how he got started. He started in the Marine Corps, started his family, and then had a pretty major life event that drove him to start thinking about money and finances very differently. Today, we dig into his research and what he's learned about how the 1% think about money and finances very differently from the typical middle class. We dig into how he applied those lessons to himself, to his money, to his life, to his family, to create extreme financial abundance where now he owns a property in Italy, for example, where he goes on vacation every year. He's owned several over the years and is now you know, full-time a real estate investor, retired, moved from Virginia down to Florida to enjoy his retirement and share this knowledge with us today great lessons in this one. If you want to learn how the ultra wealthy think about money differently and the moves that they make that put them in that position, well, this is the conversation for you. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, invested in, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, today, our guest is Dave Wolcott. Let's go. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your past and your vision for the future and how you've achieved everything that you've achieved. It's going to be a big conversation for the uh, 25, 30 minutes that we have here. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about how you got started in business and entrepreneurship and when that light bulb switched for you when you had a, a lucky day back in 2000? Yeah, you bet, Taylor. Really grateful to be here to connect with you and your audience and probably like a lot of listeners out there, I was raised in a middle-class family in Connecticut, and I was taught that the recipe for success was to go to school, get good grades, you know, you're going to get a job and life would just work out, right? So I kind of followed down that path. Actually close to you, I went to GW, that's where I did my undergrad and did the ROTC program. Had the opportunity to serve my country in the Marine Corps, which was an amazing experience, really learned about some skills. They just don't teach you other places, things like leadership teamwork and integrity. 
And then after I transitioned out of the Marine Corps, I got into corporate in the tech industry and really became frustrated very quickly with, you know, losing that same sense of mission that I had in the Marine Corps, right? And, and, and doing something really good, creating impact and everything. And then at the same time, Taylor, my wife and I started raising a family. We had an 18 month old running around, you know, ruling our lives. And then on October 24th, 2000, we literally had triplets, which was <laughs> a mind blowing event. If anyone out there has kids, you just, you can't imagine. I mean, it's something that you read about in, in the news. And the first thing I did, Taylor, was, you know, I was thinking, I just quadrupled the size of my family. How am I going to provide for my family, right? Financial security was really the biggest thing I was really wrestling with. So I went to see my financial planner and, you know, this is what he told me, which is, oh, you've got kids. You can max out your 529 plans, keep putting money in your 401ks and, you know, oh, your accumulation number just got a little bigger. <laughs> oh, by the way. And so it was really at that moment that I just became, you know, really frustrated with traditional financial planning and realized that, you know, that's not how real wealth is being created. So it launched me on this obsessive journey to figure out how the top 1% are really building their wealth. And keep in mind, this is back in 2000, right? So there weren't a lot of great resources like this podcast or, you know, things out there. But I started networking. I started reading books and doing everything I could. I started investing in all kinds of alternative assets, everything from raw land to retail to single family, multifamily, even oil and gas and other asset classes as an LP. And then fast forward 20 years, and I've really kind of encapsulated all of my learnings as a passive investor to try to create really a systematic framework and help other people realize, you know, this alternative wealth strategy outside of the Wall Street casino. I love it. I always talk about the Wall Street casino on this show and, you know, how it doesn't set us up uh, for what we really want to achieve, I think, for most of us in terms of our wealth creation and cash flow. So what it, what was the first like action that you took once you saw that, okay, this doesn't, this isn't going to work for me. This isn't going to put me where I want to be. When you walked out of the meeting with the financial advisor, or maybe you waited a little while to really make a decision about anything, what was that first step for you? So I knew I had to improve my financial IQ. Right. And I had to real understand that there's, you know, what other investment options, how can I start investing in real estate? So I started, you know, picking up books. Right. And, you know, Kiyosaki's books literally had just come out. I think Rich Dad Poor Dad came out in 99. But when I read the cash flow quadrant, you know, that was the real eye opener in terms of, you know, structurally, you need to be positioned as a business owner to be paying the least amount of taxes. And then also as an investor, right, where you can drive passive income and create this nice virtuous cycle, right, of buying assets, creating income and such. Okay. So you wanted to be structured as a business owner, but you're in the military at the time, at least if I'm getting the, the timeline right. So I think a lot of people see they want to be a business owner. Maybe they read the cash flow quadrant or rich dad, poor dad, which I have one of my copies right over my shoulder here, but they don't see how to bridge that gap right between their w-2 and becoming a business owner replacing their day job income to get all the tax advantages and, and everything how did you 
make that step and, and achieve, you know, business ownership goal. Yeah. So actually at that point I had transitioned into the corporate America, right. And I was in the tech industry and, you know, I kept, there were, there were all these subtle things, right. That just, you know, kept telling me that, Hey, I can do things faster, better, cheaper than the company I was working with. And I got really frustrated at, you know, holding down jobs really quickly. So I was trying to show some of these, you know, entrepreneurial traits, but you know, this is really, you know, my journey, like I said, is encapsulated in my book called the holistic wealth strategy, which is essentially the journey that I took. Right. And so it has five different phases, but the first phase all really starts with you, Taylor. It's really about understanding that you are your number one biggest asset. You know, what goals do you have? that are supporting your vision? What habits do you have that are creating, you know, supporting those goals? Who are the five people that you're spending the most amount of time with? Are they taking you closer to your goals or actually detracting you from your goals, right? So all of these kind of things, right, you have to generate this, you know, within yourself. This isn't, you know, this isn't a plan for everyone, um, but when you understand that you're your biggest asset and it's really making that paradigm shift into a growth and abundance mindset to get you to believe that, you know, you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. Well, I certainly appreciate the the power of belief, but after we set goals, we get our mind in the right place, get our network, you know, supportive in the way that it needs to be, get the right people around us. We got to start taking some action, right? So moving on from number one is this phase two is from moving off, excuse me, moving on from phase one It's phase two, you know, an, an action taking step, like what comes after we set goals, get our minds in the right place. Yeah. So phase two is actually, I'll give you uh, in the listeners, a little formula that I really developed, which is your net worth is equal to your financial IQ plus your mindset IQ plus your physical capital plus your relationship cap. Okay. So this is how you can look at your net worth and really, again, that holistic view of what wealth really means, right? So relationships, for instance, right? How important those are. I mean, I was non-accredited before I got into my first, you know, private placement deals, but I figured that out through relationships and things that were going on at the time, right? That, that kind of helped me cross that chasm. You know, we talked about the growth mindset, how critical that is. And then, you know, financial IQ, you know, we can all watch Bloomberg and CNBC all day long, but who is really talking about, you know, investing in apartment buildings or self-storage or doing, you know, private equity type deals? Nobody's talking about that, right? So you have to really look under rocks to be able to figure out, you know, where some of these resources are. And again, you know, for me, this happened, you know, in 2000, there, there was very minimal resources out there, but I took it upon myself to, to improve my financial IQ, get smarter, learn about these different asset classes, what was going to make sense for me, and also really understanding my investor DNA along the lines, which is, you know, what asset class is really going to make sense for me. So what will you find most folks that say that are in this uh, W-2 position and they want to build wealth like the 1%, but they're, they feel they're stuck in the Wall Street casino a bit. What would you say is the biggest difference between them and how you found that the 1% think about wealth, growth, and accumulation? It's all mindset. 
you know, hundred percent. So think about what is the difference between someone like, you know, Elon Musk or Steve Jobs and the people maybe you went to high school with who are still in the same town, have the same set of friends, right? And they just haven't really expanded their horizons. Whereas Elon Musk, I mean, can you just imagine, you know, what's going on in his brain every day, right? You know, going, you know, go from going to space, right? To, to Tesla, to solar. I mean, you know, you name it, right? It's all about his mindset, right? And when you can break through, you know, some of these limiting beliefs that we may have had. I mean, like I said, I was raised as a middle class, you know, you know, kid and we didn't have, we were actually vegetarian, you know, based on economics, you know, not, not based on, you know, that, that it was healthier for us. Right. We just, my mom just didn't want to buy meat. Right. So we kind of grew up in this scarcity, you know, there's not enough, there's not enough. But when you start to change your, your mindset to think about, you know, abundance, right? There's more than enough for things, right? And how can we create impact? How can we help other people and serve others? You know, there's more than enough in the world, right? There's, there's so many different opportunities, but, but just having that growth mindset is really key. And I think anyone can do it. And in this country, right, there's the best examples in the world of people who've gone from, you know, rags to riches stories that have, you know, become billionaires, right? In, in different things. So, definitely mindset. So you've been through a couple of market cycles here starting, you know, back in in 2000 till today. What do you say to folks who focus a lot on, hey, it's not the right time, quote unquote, to invest in real estate. They're they they come to you, they say, it's not the right time. I'm going to sit it out. I'm going to wait. And, you know, some of these folks are saying this back in 2011, 2012 when it was kind of the best time ever to <laughs> invest in real estate, but, you know, more broadly, how do you approach those people when that conversation comes up to help them get past those limiting beliefs? Well, I think as a sophisticated investor, you always want to understand cycles, right? And every asset class is going to have its own uh, cycles to it, right? And you need to be cognizant of that. Uh, but what I've learned about the ultra wealthy, right, is they're making decisions for 25 years out. They're not making decisions around, you know, emotionally what's, you know, impacting me or what is the latest, you know, that's come across the newswire today in the next 90 days. Right. When we're allocating capital, we're thinking about it as a very long term view. I mean, capital allocation is really key. I actually just had Michael Sonnenfeld on, on my podcast uh, the other week. He's the CEO of Tiger 21, which has over 1300 members with over 100 million in net worth. Right. And, you know, he was talking about capital allocation. Right. And it's all about different buckets. Right. Having your, their buckets in basically. Uh, real estate, direct real estate, uh, private equity, a small exposure actually to the equities markets, like less than about 22%, and then other, right? Being, you know, cash flow and cash equivalents and things like that, right? So when you start to think about your portfolio in more of a strategic nature, you can kind of create more of an all weather type of opportunity. I love real estate. Real estate is a great asset class. Am I going to put 100% of my assets in there? Absolutely not, right? Because you have interest rate risk like we're seeing now. You know, there's certain risks also with, in, you know, with, with real estate. You know, so I think being prudent, like I said, about how you allocate your assets and then really trying to create this 
diversified all-weather portfolio. I think as an investor, you have to understand that everyone has an agenda. Wall Street has an agenda. They want assets under management. So if they're selling you stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, they're collecting that AUM fee, right? One to two percent, whether the market performs or it doesn't, right? So they want all your money right there. With respect to gold and precious metals, fear sells, right? So when when the economy kind of goes bad, right? You hear all these gold bugs talking. You talk about they talk about the world falling. They talk about the dollar crisis <laughs> and everything happening. And you know you feel like the zombie apocalypse is about is it at your door. I need to, you know I need crypto and I need gold and I also need you know six months of food in my basement, right? But but again, the ultra family, you know, ultra high net worth, you know, centimillionaires, billionaires. They're not allocating capital that way. It's typically one to three percent of an allocation in precious metals. And gold is not, you know, people aren't really looking at gold, I think, for an appreciation play. It's more of a hedge play, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas, okay, if the dollar does, you know, have some, you know, considerable devaluation to it, then we're going to allocate some capital to gold so we can, you know, we can kind of manage that. Yeah, and I don't mean to rag on the gold bugs too much. I do enjoy from time to time listening to, say, Peter Schiff's podcast. He's pretty entertaining and I think has an interesting perspective. But, you know, his answer is always basically buy gold, which to me seems a little silly. But anyway, I'm a real estate guy, so what am I going to say? So I think one of the big advantages that folks in this strata have is when they're investing in, say, private placements, they have the scale and the resources to pay others essentially to find them the right people to invest with, to vet their operators, you know, all these other, you know, people that are involved in a private placement real estate deal that, you know, you're not going to run yourself. Someone getting started out, you know, maybe has a net worth in their realm of, you know, million, two million bucks might not have the scale to pay somebody for that or, or do they, what are your thoughts about how, you know, we can think about vetting those who we work with and maybe outsourcing some of that? Sure. So the way I'll answer this, Taylor, is I'll jump ahead actually to our phase four, which is a lot of times people will say, hey, that sounds great. I'd like love to get into syndication, right? Or that next multifamily deal you have. But I don't necessarily have 50 grand, you know, sitting around right in my checking account to write a check to you to invest. So we call phase four asset repositioning. And a lot of times, you know, basically over 90% of Americans, Taylor, have their capital locked up in two places. It's in their primary residence, in trapped equity in their primary residence, or it's in government-sponsored qualified vehicles like 401ks, IRAs, SEPs, and all of that. So there is a lot of low-hanging fruit actually start to reposition your existing portfolio. So for instance, you could, you know, allocate some capital into a self-directed IRA and then go invest into, you know, that next real estate deal or something like that, right? We have actually even built, and, you know, to your point, I think this will really hit home for listeners. We've actually developed a 401k exit calculator where we can show that Let's take this simple scenario of 100K in your 401K. And of course, they always tell you, no, you can't sell that. You can't get rid of that. You're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to pay this 10% penalty. Okay, well, 
let's take that 100K. Let, let's objectively look at this on paper. So you run this out. Let's take 100K. Let's say you're in a 35% tax bracket. Then you paid 10,000 in the penalty. So you have a net investable 55,000. Okay. And if I compare that to keeping it in the 401k at a rate of return of what the S&P has done, 7%, right? It continues at 7% over the next 20 years. But if I was to compare that to, let's say, a multifamily syndication, flip them every five years and assume a 20% AAR, the amount on that 55k, Taylor, guess what it is after 20 years? It's got to be quite a lot. Just ballpark. What do you I think? Know, I don't know. Maybe a million. It's over 2 million. Whoa. Okay. Okay. And if you leave it in your 401k, it's actually closer to 250k and you still have taxes, fees, and inflation. So even if I cut that number in half and said, okay, you are, you are being aggressive. I want to be more conservative with my model. I'm only going to accumulate a 10% of you. Yeah, you would still be at a million, like even if you cut that in half conservatively. So which solution would you rather have, right? Absolutely. So this really answers your question is how can people, if they're W-2 employees, how can they get in the game? Well, be smarter with your existing portfolio, you know, do some analytics and try to model things out, right? Because we want to really take that power of compounding and put things into place. This is a slow and steady process, but when you can get the process right, you're gonna get exponential results and it's really gonna snowball for you. So in the spirit of thinking 25 plus years ahead, you have four kids, at least four kids, maybe you had a few more that you didn't tell us about uh, after, the, after the triplets, but they're out of the house now, as you told me before, you've recently uh, moved as well. How did you think about teaching this, teaching all these lessons to your kids to pass the knowledge on so that they could, you know, pass it on to future generations? So great question, Taylor. And, you know, frankly, this is why I'm so passionate about this is I'm trying to really help other people, you know, not have all the mistakes that I did. Can they get to financial freedom quicker? Right. Can they live a better life? Right. And again, this, you know, with this holistic kind of wrapper to it. And why don't I just give you a case study, right? So we, we also didn't talk about uh, phase three, which was actually about building an infrastructure around your wealth, right? So we talk about things like we help our clients also with infinite banking, which is essentially a whole life cash value and a uh, whole life insurance policy where money can compound completely tax-free. You can create a tax-free income stream in retirement, and you can also borrow against that income. Having said that, I'll give you an example is we had my daughter, my oldest is 24. She, we talk about, we mastermind in our house all through high school, always talking about these different topics. She graduated uh, college from Virginia Tech, by the way. So right around the corner from you. <laughs> yep. And you know, she, and she got a job in tech as soon as she got out, but she saved money. So like right at basically her senior year, she opened up a life insurance policy. And if she only funds that 10,000 a year, she will have over 2 million by the time she's 65, which is almost a hundred six figure income stream. If she did nothing more than just put 10K a year in. Well, she put 10K 
in one year, 10K she funded it the next year. Her and her boyfriend, the first year out of school, they bought a property in Knoxville, Tennessee together. She used, she borrowed against the policy for the down payment on the property. Okay, so she had, she was liquid and had the cash flow, put that into the property. They then spent the next year living there and house hacking the property. And then they did it again and they just bought their next place now in Nashville two, two and a half years later. And they're renting that out. They have like 1300 bucks a month coming in cash flow. And they, they improved their balance sheet by a hundred K because the equity went up in the house and she's 24 years old. Right. So it's such a great example that, you know, anyone can do this. Even if you're, you know, 45, it's like, it's not too late. You know, you can learn a lot of these tactics and these are the things, you know, to answer your question, you know, we've been trying to teach our kids about money teach our kids about wealth, teach our kids about taxes and also values, right? Because we want to, you know, leave not only money behind for our family and future generations, but we also want to leave that, you know, the values that we hold so important to us. Nice. I love it. I appreciate that example. I also appreciate, to be honest, that you know, she went to college. She went to a great state school, very sensible place that'll help you get a job. I think a lot of times in this conversation, it very quickly turns to, oh, nobody should go to college. It's a big waste of money. I, I totally disagree with that. Get a useful degree. Find a job that'll pay you hopefully six figures pretty quickly. There's still a strong job market out there. So I appreciate that she made that investment in her education as well. So I think it's too much people, you know, being against college and formal education. I, I think it's important and valuable. Yeah. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Dave, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Shoot. Great. First one, what is the best deal or the best investment you ever did? The best investment I ever did was actually, it was a new development project in Dallas, Texas that I probably did maybe seven years ago. I invested as an LP and actually that was some of the 401k money that I exited and put it into this property that turned over ahead of plan, beat expectations, very tax efficient. I got all the depreciation from it. It was cash flowing nicely and just you know, performed, you know, above expectations. Nice. Well, it was a great time to be developing in, in Dallas. How long did you end up holding the property? I think it was about three, four years because it was a new build. So about two years to get it, you know, up and leased up. Nice. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of the coin, the worst investment. What's the worst investment or the worst deal you ever did? So the worst investment was investing in the Indian stock market. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. In, in about 2015, the market was going up. I had a partner. I had a tech consulting business at the time and, you know, was just really, you know, talking to him about, hey, this is such a great investment. And really the reason why it was the worst investment is because I invested in something I knew absolutely nothing about. Right. And I, you know, the complexities of investing internationally, it didn't go as well as planned. So it was even worse than the US Wall Street casino. I can understand that. There's the interest or the, excuse me, the exchange rate risk. There's the not knowing the stock market that you're investing in. There's just so many unknowns. Stick with things that you understand. 
My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson, Taylor, is really to understand that you are your greatest asset. So we, we're always looking for yield and ROI on these particular investments. That one's 8%, that one's 10, it must be better, that one's 12. But when you can just take a step back and start investing in yourself, invest in your health, invest in your relationships, invest in your family, right? These things are absolutely invaluable and the ROI can be a 100x return. Right. We were, we started this uh, call off. We were talking about coaching and mentors. And I've been a member, as I mentioned to you, with Strategic Coach. Dan Sullivan is my coach. I've been in there for like seven years now. And I mean, the ROI I've gotten in out of it has been just, you know, it, it's completely exponential. It's completely changed my life. And, you know, but a lot of people view expenses, they view things as expenses versus investment. So when you can actually change that paradigm and think about, hey, I want to invest in myself and then what can I get out of that? And it's really amazing what can happen. Nice. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for all the lessons today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find your book, anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, appreciate that, Taylor. The best place is just to go to our site at pantheoninvest.com forward slash wealth hyphen strategy. And we have some free book resources. You can get a copy of the book there as well as some free resources, including that uh, 401k exit calculator. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.